This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning to our Sunday morning worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach. Our subject today is Green Beret Christians. Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler came out a number of years ago with a song, and in this song he called attention to the United States Army's Special Forces Unit called the Green Berets. If you are where you can get a Bible, you might like to look up the scriptural basis for this message. It's found in the seventh book of the Old Testament, Judges. And the story actually encompasses about three chapters, chapters 6, 7, and 8. We'll also be looking together this morning at some New Testament verses. So join with us now as we look at this fascinating story from the Old Testament and as we see how it applies to us all today. Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler focused our attention some years ago on the U.S. Army's Special Forces and their Green Berets by his moving popular song about the fact that of 100 men that will test today, only three win the Green Beret. The 3% which survive those tests reminds us of another moving story which is squeezed into three chapters in the book of Judges. Perhaps you're familiar with part of it, but let me tell you the whole story briefly. The nation of Israel once did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so for seven years, he allowed their enemies, the Midianites, to rule over them. To give you an example of how ruthless these Midianites were, they waited until the Israelites would sow their seeds and get their crops up about ready to harvest. And then the Midianites would swoop in like locusts and destroy all their produce. Finally, the nation of Israel could stand it no longer. They cried out to the Lord for help. God reminded them that the reason for their suffering was because of their disobedience to him. And then he answered their cry for help. He called out from among them a young man from the tribe of Manasseh and designated him to be the one to free the nation from these wicked Midianites. When God spoke to this man, the man replied, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. But God promised to be with him. And to prove his help, God gave this deliverer a trial run before he tackled those mighty Midianites. This man's father had an altar for the worship of Baal, an idolatrous god. And also he had some trees which were for idol worship and evil practices. God told this young man to take his father's bull and pull down that altar to Baal. And then he was to cut down the trees beside the altar. And so God's man did as he was commanded, although he did it under the cover of darkness knowing that he would be seen and caught in the daytime. So he took 10 servants and did as God had instructed him. When the morning came, 
people of the town were running here and there in frantic dismay saying, who did this? Who did this? Well, investigation proved that it was this son of Joash who had done it. And the people demanded his death on the spot. But Joash, the father, defended his son saying, listen, if Baal is a real God, then let him defend himself because his altar has been pulled down. And so the son of Joash, God's servant, was spared. But there was another test before he would meet the Midianites. He should have gone along with what God had just proved by sparing his life and knowing that God was with him. But he wanted to try God once again and prove him one more time. And so this man made a bargain with God. Oh, don't we often do that? He said, God, I'm laying a piece of wool on the floor now. And tomorrow morning, if there's dew on this piece of wool, but if the ground all around it is dry, then I will know that you want me to be your deliverer. And do you know when he got up the next morning, the piece of wool had so much water in it that he was able to wring enough water out of it to fill up a bowl. Now, as if that were not proof enough, uh, he had to try God out again. Aren't we all like that too? He said, Lord, I'm going to put out this fleece of wool one more time again tonight. And if you really want me to be your leader to deliver our nation from these Midianites, then let's reverse what we had last night. Let there be dew on all the ground around and let the fleece of wool be dry. Well, that's exactly how it was the next morning when he got up. And then he knew for sure that he was to be God's deliverer for the nation of Israel. And so this man, whose name you may have already guessed by now, the name was Gideon, gathered together a great army from the ranks of Israel, 32,000 soldiers. Now Gideon didn't seem to know it at first, but that was far too many soldiers for God. You see, God was in the Green Beret business. <clears throat> so God told Gideon to thin down that number. Why, if they won the battle with that many soldiers, they may be inclined to think that they themselves were responsible for the victory and not God. So God instructed Gideon to tell all those who were fearful and trembling to go home. Well, that must have been the most honest army in the face of uh, adversity, most honest army ever in history. Because of the 32,000 soldiers, 22,000 of them left and went back home. But God then said that 10,000 soldiers were still too many. And so he told Gideon to take them down to the water. And those who get down and drink water as a dog does, put all these on one side. Those who catch up water in their hands and bring it to their mouth, put these in another group. Only 300 men use their hands to drink water. And then God said to Gideon, with 300 men, I will deliver you and give the Midianites into your hands. Well, God had already proved himself over and over to Gideon. And so then God did what he promised. These 300 men proved to be God's instruments 
and bringing about the fall of these wicked Midianites. And so in Judges chapter 8, verse 28, we read this word, this sentence. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they lifted up their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. And that's the story. Isn't it amazing what God can do with a dedicated few? Oh, that's not our way of thinking today, is it? We seem to have the notion that if we had more church members, if we had bigger churches, more money, finer programs, uh, nice padded seats and just beautiful surroundings, we could just win the world for Jesus. Well, God doesn't work that way. He can do more with a dedicated few than with an indifferent multitude. We've been counting numbers, but we've not always been making the numbers count. What amazes me in a study of the Bible is that many times Jesus emphasized the few. Let me give you just a few verses. Matthew 7, 14. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Matthew 22:14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. A prominent pastor in New York has said, no church can fulfill its true function unless there is at the very center of its leadership life, a small community of quietly, fanatic, changed, truly converted Christians. You know, communism works on this same principle. In the year 1887, there was a 17-year-old Russian youth who watched as the royal police seized his older brother, Alexander. Horribly, they publicly mutilated him. They cut out Alexander's tongue. They cut off his ears. And then they hung him at the door of their little peasant cottage with orders that anybody who cut his body down would be shot on sight. And so the brother's body swung there until decomposition caused it to fall. That 17-year-old brother made a vow that he was going to change things. That had a lasting impression on his life, that experience. And he made good on his vow. The world later knew him as Lenin. In the year 1903, Lenin established Bolshevism with only 17 followers. In 1917, he conquered Russia. In 1937, there was an estimated 8% of the whole world's population was under communist rule. And even in our lifetime, we have seen in many nations that communism spread like a cancer until it was estimated a few years ago to engulf over a third of the world's population. Lenin once was quoted to have said that he wanted fewer but better followers who would give not a spare evening, but the whole of their lives to his cause. Communism, socialism, they're intertwined. But this is not our way of thinking generally. 
We have the mistaken idea that it takes vast numbers to show that we are accomplishing God's work. What if you and I had been in charge of Gideon's army instead of God being in charge? Well, Gideon started with 32,000 soldiers. We, we probably would have said, okay, that's fine. We've got 32,000 now. Let's set a goal for 50,000. But no, God removed 22,000 who were cowards. He removed 9,700 who were careless. And that left 300 who were competent. Someone said the average church membership today might well be divided just about that same ratio. ratio. 100 men will test today. Only three win the Green Beret. Did you realize that Jesus concentrated his ministry on a comparative few people also? Oh, I'm sure Jesus loved the masses. There's no question about that. And he showed compassion for everybody. But when it came to the company of those who were really committed to him, he narrowed that down to a faithful few. The first 30 years of Jesus' life are hidden in almost complete silence. Sometimes he even performed miracles and requested that they be kept silent. Some people in Jesus' day wanted him to go up to Jerusalem where he would be noticed, but he went up secretly many times. The transfiguration was not revealed to a crowd of people. His last supper was with his disciples only. Wouldn't you think that Jesus, knowing that he had only three more years to live on this earth, would have visited Rome and Athens? He would have sought all sorts of available publicity. Wouldn't you think that Jesus would have called on celebrities, uh, made appearances at forums and symposiums? He would have held public debates and put on healing exhibitions? No, he didn't do any of that. But instead, he stayed primarily in an obscure little Roman province. He talked with a comparatively few individuals, mingled with ordinary people, and confused even his closest friends by not seeking worldly acclaim. And what about the resurrection? Why didn't Jesus make this the greatest public extravaganza of all time? Why didn't Jesus appear to King Herod and Caiaphas and Pilate after he had come back from the tomb? Suppose Jesus had called a great public assembly and announced that he's going to prove now once and for all that he had come back from the dead. Wouldn't that have been the thing to do? Well, that's our way of thinking. But no. Instead, Jesus chose to appear only before a small group of his followers with one, maybe one exception. And these small, the small group of followers he charged with the responsibility of telling of his resurrection. A faithful few, a green beret brigade. Don't underestimate your personal influence for Christ because you think you're only one person or because you may not be in a place where you have a lot of possibility to serve Christ, consider the following story, a true story. A Sunday school teacher known only as Mr. Kimball led a Boston shoe clerk to Christ way back in the year 1858. And this clerk 
whose name was Dwight L. Moody, became a great evangelist. In the year 1879, while he was uh, attending an evangelistic crusade in England, Moody preached and awakened evangelistic zeal in the heart of a pastor there. That pastor's name was F.B. Meyer. Meyer later came to speak on an American college campus. And on that campus, as he spoke, he led a student there in that college to Jesus Christ as his personal savior. That student's name was Billy Sunday. Several years later, Billy Sunday held a revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this revival sparked a group of local businessmen to plan another evangelistic campaign in Charlotte. And this time, they invited a well-known evangelist, Mordecai Ham, to preach. And as Ham preached, there was another young man there who heard the gospel message, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. That young man's name was Billy Graham. Don't be discouraged because of small things. You may think your work for the Lord is small or insignificant, but remember though, God can do much with a few dedicated servants who are willing to serve even in small, remote ways. Yes, God is in the remnant business, and he always has been. Remember that it was that little band of Jesus' disciples who were accused of upsetting the world. The hope of our world, the hope of our nation, does not lie in a political party. It does not lie with either of the candidates who have been politicking for so many uh, days and months and even years. That's not where the future of our nation lies. It lies rather in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember, it was that little band of Jesus' disciples who were upsetting the world. Rallying a Gideon's band, that's our charge. A select few of Green Beret Christians who will go out and calmly but surely get the job done. All the Green Beret men are volunteers. And if you are willing, you can be a volunteer who will join God's band. Let your light so shine and then leave the results to God. Oh God, thank you so much for the fact that you don't see things as we do. We think we have to be big and have a lot of talent and do all these glorious, wonderful things that people can see in order to serve you. Lord, that's not your way. You can do much with even those of us who feel that we are so small. So we pray, Lord, today that the one hearing your word may be thankful, first of all, for your acceptance of us and for giving us our Savior, Jesus, and then giving us a commission to share him with those about us. Our prayer we offer and ourselves we offer in his wonderful name. Amen.